Today's episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, your one-stop location for all your gaming needs. Located in Lehigh City, Utah, their fun and friendly staff will be more than happy to answer any of your gaming needs. Just remember, Gamers Inn, it's where adventures begin. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. We have a great, fantastic interview for you tonight with author Jacqueline Carey. So let's get right into it. All right, listeners, we have Jacqueline Carey, author of, uh, I I may mispronounce this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's Miranda and Caliban, correct? Correct. All right. Now, this book doesn't come out till Valentine's Day, which is kind of apropos because it is kind of there's kind of a love story going on here which is kind of a great day yeah a, a tragic one so bear that in mind if you're shopping for your loved one <laughs> but those are kind of the, some of the best stories in a way i mean yeah. everyone loves yeah. those i mean that's why twilight sold so well um even though i'm not a fan of that book but there's that tragedy going on in there so um go ahead I meant tragic in the sense that it's not a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. One well, can make an argument for Twilight being tragic in a variety of ways, but I believe it has <laughs> what is considered to be a happy ending. <laughs> y- yeah, sort of. <laughs> mm. Yeah, one, that that's one book that I've read that I just, uh, yeah. I, I was more frustrated at the end of the book than at the beginning, so yeah. But that's okay. You were- not the target audience. No, I wasn't, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Now, um, so you're a New York Times best-selling author, but you're really known for, uh, is it Kashiel's Legacy? Kashiel, yeah, Kashiel's Legacy. Okay. And that's kind of more of a historical fiction series of novels, well, right? Yeah, it's a series of... They, they are fantasy. They're alternate history. They're set in my version of a medieval Provence, um, but they are very much reinvented history. Uh, there are recognizable geographical elements and details that are sort of, I think of them as sort of signposts in the mist. Okay. Now, do you find it easier to write with historical fiction than norm- just recreating a world, or is it just you just wanted to write that story? Uh, which story are you? With, with Kishiel. No, with Kishiel. With Kishiel. I've always been fascinated by um, history, theology, mythology. So it was, I'm not going to say easier, because there's a lot of research involved, mm-hmm. but rewarding to have so much material to draw on. And 
one of the nice things about sort of reinventing the familiar world is you're held to a standard of plausibility, but not accuracy. Mm. So I know there are authors of straightforward historical fiction who, you know, get letters from writers who catch about on details that they get wrong. And you know, if you're dealing with alternate history, you can't get it wrong because it's your decision. Yeah, no, I like that. So let's, let's jump over to Miranda and Caliban. So can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, this is my retelling of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Um, the entire action of the play takes place in one single day. And yet, you've had this vengeful magician and his daughter and the spirit Ariel and the allegedly bestial Caliban have all been on this island together for 12 years. So I wanted to kind of explore that backstory and find out what was going on in those 12 years. Oh, okay. No, that's... Good. It leads, sorry, leads up to the day of the actual action of the play. Yeah. So what made you decide to write that 12 years? I mean, not not opposing that. I mean, that's really a cool idea. But what really kind of was the catalyst to say, hey, I want to write what happened before what happened in the play? I think as a young reader, you know, hungry for things magical and mystical... It was a play I loved because there are, you know, spirits and magic and cool stuff like that in it. And then looking at it uh, as an older reader, I'm like, wow, Prospero is extremely controlling. And Caliban supposedly tried to rape Miranda, yet they keep him around. It just seemed like a really interesting backstory to, to explore the, the seamy underbelly, as it were. Nice. So, can with the two characters, um, how did you kind of take what Shakespeare wrote and then kind of develop those two main characters into your own uh, work? Um, yeah, that was an interesting challenge. For Miranda, I thought, she's got to be a precocious kid because she's had only her highly educated scholarly father to talk to for mm -hmm. years so I introduced her at about the age of six and um, gave her a pretty precocious young voice Caliban is much more challenging uh, working within the confines of the play we're given to understand he did not possess language until Prospero and Miranda taught it to him mm. um, but I also was thinking well how old was he we kind of take it for granted, watching the play or reading the play, that he was an adult when they first encountered him. But again, there's no actual... That's not there in the text. Yeah. So I started looking into um, feral children, essentially, and developmental issues, and um, learned that there are some physical um, developmental difficulties that children who've been rescued who were raised for a certain amount of years away from human civilization never overcome. Um, if they had language in the first place, they're able to recover some of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they never learned language, they're not able to learn it past a certain point. So those were sort of my taking off points for developing the character of Caliban, who we do first encounter as a, a 
a boy of about 10 who does not possess any language and has some physical deformities caused by uh, not walking upright all the time. Hmm. Okay. So, I, it sounds like you did a lot of research for for this, I and mean, especially going towards looking into feral children and stuff like that. Is that something that you really enjoy when it comes to the writing process, or is that something that just comes because you need to? Uh, more enjoy than not. I like doing the upfront research um, when I have a roadmap, whether it's sort of geographical or cultural or historical of where a story is going. Um, it can get frustrating the kind of things you have to do on the fly when an issue comes up and you find yourself needing to know, well, what is the saline content of an iceberg? <laughs> and it interrupts your flow of writing. But on the whole, I, I do very much enjoy doing research. Nice. So does that throw you off? I mean, like that example there where you're writing and then you need to know the saline content of an iceberg, does that kind of put up a big roadblock where you have to stop and then do that, or that you can kind of finish and then go back? Um, <laughs> some writers would finish and go back. I'm not one who can. I can't move forward without knowing the text is as perfect as I can make it. Okay. But fortunately, any more uh, questions like that don't take more than a few minutes on Google to find an answer to, as opposed to the days when you have to put it on hold and go to the library and do book research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is the nice thing about technology now. You can just pause, open up Google, do a search, and you can probably find hundreds of articles that will tell you the answer. And um, I mean, trying to explain to my kids, because they're doing reports, book reports and country reports and stuff like that, and they're just astounded that, you know, and I tell them, yeah, we had to go to the library and get encyclopedias or get books on the countries and that. And they're like, I don't understand. It's um, a different world. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. And it's just amazing how easy it is to get that information now and how easier it is to help with writers and stuff like that. So, Yeah, I mean, of course, you have to be careful about sourcing your mm -hmm. references. But for a simple fact, like, the saline content of an iceberg. It's pretty easy to yeah. cross-reference that. Make yeah. sure you've got it in the ballpark. Now, because Shakespeare has a specific way that he speaks, uh, especially in his writing, did you keep that same tone of voice, or did you kind of make it your own? Um, I did not want to try and emulate that. I think that would be <laughs> very ill-advised on my part. Um and I, I don't imagine that, in fact, most contemporary folks spoke that way. He was writing for the stage. Yeah. So I did give um, all the dialogue as much more this prosaic prose, except for the character of Ariel. And as a nod to Shakespeare's language, I, his, his voice does tend to be uh, archaic and formal and probably has a few Shakespeare generator, insult generator type comments in there. Okay. So, a little bit about you. What got you into writing? And 
you know, deciding, hey, this is what I want to do? <laughs> when I was about 16 years old, um, I transferred from one high school to another, and there was some overlap in the curriculum, and I was really, really bored. And I started a novel in the back of my notebook. I thought it was brilliant, because everybody thought I was taking notes. It looked like I was. And it wasn't something I took seriously. It uh, was part fantasy, part soap opera, entirely horrible. But I kept writing it for mm -hmm. years. And I went all through college. I double majored in English literature and psychology. And I still had this secret novel that went on for generations. Um, and then I graduated and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I took part in a work exchange program and spent six months working in a bookstore in London. Um, and it was at that point that I kind of looked around at all these books I was selling and went, ah, oh, people make a living doing that secret hobby that I love. So it was really at that point that um, I, I jumped my terrible book and set out to write something real, a, a real novel, right. an actual name structure. So, so that answered my next question. You, you got rid of the, that. Um, yes. Is it hidden somewhere in a box somewhere in the house, or did you actually throw it away? Uh, I think I actually threw most of it away. There might be a notebook or two, because this was back in the day, writing yeah. long-handed notebooks. Um, I don't know. You're inspiring me to purge my office and find out. <laughs> uh, it would just be interesting to go back and see if maybe you could make something of that. I mean... Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing that because I know the first things I attempted writing were really, even after that, still really derivative. Yeah. But, well, but yeah, it would be fun to see. I, I, I think there's a saying out there like the first million words is practice and then after that it's all, it, you're actually right. getting paid to write or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Besides writing, is there anything else that you like to do that's kind of a, a passion or just what you do to get away from writing because that's kind of the day job? <laughs> um, I do love travel, although that tends to dovetail with writing since it all turns into research eventually. Cooking, mm -hmm. um, I would say, is probably my biggest hobby. Cooking and yoga, and that makes me sound so much healthier than I am. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you you got to sound healthy. I'm sure, you know. I, I know another author that she's super healthy, but when she writes, she's got a giant jug of red vines that's sitting right there, and as she's typing away, she reaches up and just eats away at those. So. <laughs> Sugar <Yeah>. fuel. <laughs> yeah. The amazing stuff that comes out of uh, red vines with her novels. So, yeah. I lean more to the red wine or red vines, but well, whatever works for every, you. Everyone has their thing, and uh, yeah. wine is, is known to be healthy, too. So, <laughs> uh, well, so what, is this going to be a standalone novel um, with Miranda and Caliban, because we kind of do know the end? Or right. is there a possibility of maybe doing spin-offs or something. I don't know. It's kind of hard where you have kind of an end result, but not of your own work. Yeah, I no, I, I envision this as a standalone. And um, as I said, fair warning to readers, it, it is somewhat of a tragic ending. But it's kind of, to me, 
beautiful and perfect and done in its sadness. Yeah. Well, so, no, go ahead. I wouldn't try and build a second story onto this. Okay. Now, is there any characters that you ended up really loving in your writing process where you're like, you were surprised that this character just kind of resonated and you really liked writing him? Or her? Um, yeah, sure. There, <laughs> it's, it's hard to answer that with Caliban and Miranda and Caliban will be my 17th novel. Um, but the very first one, Kushil's Dart, uh, the protagonist, Fedra Nodelane, is sort of a true gift to a writer. Um, she is my divinely masochistic courtesan spy, who is also a genuine epic fantasy heroine. And um, pretty much I don't think there's another character like her anywhere. And to have an idea as a writer that you think, oh, nobody has done this, is a real gift. Um, also terrifying, because I wasn't sure if I could pull it off, and if it was something that could be done without being exploitative and sensational. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she will always have a special place in my heart among all the characters I've written. Nice. Now, what really sticks out on that is, and you know, we kind of had a conversation on a previous show that it seems like more and more, uh, especially with fantasy and science fiction and that, that the damsel in distress character that we used to see in the 50s and that is kind of transformed and they're now, I mean, we're getting female characters that are, you know, assassins and they stand on their own, they're saving the guy and so on and so forth. So it's really cool to see that, especially, you know, like, for my daughter to be reading a book and seeing that there here's a, a a female character that isn't that weak oh i need to be saved type i you know i can do it on my own yeah absolutely and you know growing up reading the genre and loving it it was uh you know it's frustrating to see a lack of strong female characters and i know that phrase has become something of a trope unto itself mm-hmm. strong female characters uh, but in the genre so that you when you come across one, you, there was this sense of sort of, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful that it, there's far more representation now. Now, do you find that it's easier to to write the female characters because you have that perspective, or do you find it easier to write the, the male characters? Because I've kind of heard uh, both sides of the tables where some female authors find it writing male characters easier or male authors writing female characters easier? Um, I think, especially working with the first-person point of view, it's easier writing female characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I switched in my second trilogy to a first-person point of view of a male protagonist, that, I was a little apprehensive about it. I knew it was absolutely the right thing to do in terms of the narrative arc, but I've I've read a lot of authors of both genders that get the opposite wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted his voice to have integrity, but I have the advantage of growing up with brothers, um, when I worked a day job, I spent a lot of time working with um, young men, mm-hmm. who many of whom became good friends. So 
I've had a lot of input on on the male voice. And okay. So I, I feel like I did justice to it, but I will say, at least working in a first-person point of view, it was a little intimidating. Yeah. Oddly enough, that didn't really cross my mind um, with an earlier project that was all third-person point of view. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. I'm sure it's different for everyone. I, I, I'm sure it is. It's just always interesting to ask. Um, and everyone's answer is always different. But the the thing I really like is you, it sounds like you were pulling from friends, brothers, siblings that you had, that you kind of had that, you kind of knew how they acted and talked and the bravado or the not bravado or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so you had a good example behind it. So. Yeah. Nice. Now... From looking at this, the book's going to come out in hardback, in ebook, and audio, all at once. Is that correct? Yes. So that I mean that's that, my, that, that's my understanding. That that's awesome in itself. I I know sometimes the audio book trails later, but to have all three come out at once, um, I mean that's one thing. Unfortunately, I I find myself more and more listening to audio books just because I'm not I'm busy, and it's uh-huh. easier to turn the audio book do to go to double time and listen to it while I'm working, so, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I like them when I'm driving. Yeah, driving's the best. I, uh-huh. I hate listening to the radio anymore, I just, audiobooks. Someone needs to come up with that idea of just having an audiobook station, non-stop, yeah. I'm surprised no one has. Yeah, no, I, th- I, I don't think anyone has. Dang it, I just said it, now someone's going <laughs> to take it. Start working on it. Yeah. So, um, what's the next project now that this is coming out? I know authors are always working a year or two in advance. What's the next project on the way? Uh, I just completed the draft of a manuscript that's kind of hard to describe, but it is a return to epic fantasy with sort of a dash of pulp horror. Ooh. <laughs> and, um, it takes place in, this is a wholly created world, a vast archipelago, which once there were stars in the sky, which were the children of heaven, but they rebelled against their parents and were cast down and have taken the form of every island or land has its own god or goddess. And they're cool and bizarre, and have various abilities. Uh, so there's there's a there's an epic quest darkness is rising structure to it, yeah. but it's a lot of uh, tweaks and twists. Oh, that sounds fun and exciting. I, I like I like the pulp horror side that's being kind of put in there with the epic fantasy. That's that well, it's definitely uh, piqued my interest. So cool. But all right, well, the book comes out February fourteenth. So, every, anyone interested, any of our listeners, go out, take a look. Um, I, I, I've been reading through it, and it's, it's been it really, it's been enjoyable. Uh, it's been a fun read. Um, you've got that tragic love story in there. You've got some fantasy stuff. But I really love how you've connected it to The Tempest. Uh, you've done a fantastic job there. So. Oh, thank you. So, anyone that likes Shakespeare or just wants a really good read, this is a great book to pick up. Uh, and as well, and you have you have s- it, 
15 or 16 other novels besides this one? Yeah. <laughs> so, there's a there's a vast catalog. If you like this and you want to pick up her other books, go ahead. I mean, I was looking on Amazon and, wow, you've written quite a few books. It's amazing. Yeah, there are nine in the, the Cushiel's Legacy series alone. Uh, ironically enough, Santa Olivia, which I kind of call a postmodern dystopian fable, is set in a military cordon along the U.S.-Mexican border between two walls. Mm. Was, <laughs> Very interesting there. Not something I ever expected to come this close to public policy, but... Well, hey, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, somewhere in your brain you were foretelling the future, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but, no, that, that's that's really cool. Uh, what else, it, is there any conventions, or are there any book signings, or anywhere else that our listeners can find you at, or even your website, or anything like that? Um, yeah, my website is... Uh, um I'm on Facebook, uh, and I'm not remembering the address right now, and Twitter, um, at jcarryauthor. I will be attending Heliosphere in Tarrytown, New York, in March as a guest of honor, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio, for another convention in May that I am not remembering the name of right off the top of my head. So I try and sign up for, not sign up, but when I get invitations to be a guest of honor in a region that I usually am not able to attend, um, I always try and accept. Nice. So it's, it's a nice way. If there's not money in the marketing budget for a full-blown author tour, it's a great way to get out. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Well, for those of our fans listening, uh, definitely go check out Jacqueline's book, uh, as well as check out her website and follow her. And again, so far, I've been loving the book, and thanks for your time. Thank you, and I'm delighted to hear that. That's awesome. All right. And with that said, we're out of here. But before you we go, check out Jacqueline's book, Miranda and Caliban. It's going to be an amazing read. That you're going to love. And if you are a fan of Shakespeare. And have seen The Tempest. Or even read the, the screenplay uh, for it. Check out this book. Because it is action packed. And you, you got that tragic love story going on. For those of you that like that stuff. Anyways. With that said. We'll catch you next time.